right, everybody, welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 28, coming to you live. I am Zach Follador, as always, joined by my co-host, Sam Thillman. Sam, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Pacers made a uh, huge uh, trade over this past week, so yeah. I'm, I'm still recovering from that, but yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that before we get into things here, obviously, Oladipo, the hometown boy, going down to Houston. Karis Levert, though, not not a bad piece to be bringing in. I mean, an all-star caliber player for a guy who didn't really want to be here, plus some draft capital attached to it, I, I, I can't complain. And well, we'll see how he fits into the offense and, and the, the defensive uh, scheme, but I, I think it's a it's a pretty good trade on our end. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, I gotta give I gotta give the Pacers credit because here in today, you know, in 2020, 2021, it's not easy being a small market team in the NBA. And the Pacers, I feel like, do a much better job than most of like, you know, when they have a player that they know they've gotten everything out of him and he's kind of once out. The Pacers always do a good job of like making a trade and getting good value back. I mean, we always make the playoffs. That's that's all we care about at the end of the day. And we still <laughs> we somehow managed to do it. So I'm 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 just really happy that we we got the trade done. We got someone who hopefully wants to be here, and we can move forward. Yeah, man, sounds good. And I know you needed some good news after the the Colts' rough uh, exit from the playoffs this past weekend. And hey, I'm right there with you, Steelers. My goodness, what an embarrassing performance they put out there on Sunday night. So it's going to be a long offseason for football here. But that's okay. At least we got basketball. We got some Mac that we can talk about here. Good stuff happening outside of that. Uh, Sam, we got a lot to get to here this week. Let's, uh, let's jump right into the news here. Starting off, uh, some great news for, for the conference uh, from a football perspective. Two teams ranked in the final uh, final AP preseason or uh, excuse me uh, postseason top twenty five football poll. Yeah, as you said, if our listeners don't know yet, they released the final AP poll. What was it on Sunday or Monday, like they normally do? I believe it came out Monday night or Tuesday. Maybe it was Tuesday morning after the national championship game. Okay, and they had some good news for some uh, some two MAC programs. It's the first time two MAC teams are ranked for the first time since 2003. Ball State comes in at number 23, and Buffalo Bulls following their uh, win in the Camellia Bowl coming at 25. So some impressive stuff. It may have taken taken a pandemic for us to get two MAC teams in the AP poll, but here we are, and it's it's uh, some pretty good news. Yeah, no doubt. And like you said, first time since 2003 that the MAC has had two teams ranked in the final, uh, you know, top 25 rankings of the year. You go back to that year, Miami, Ohio and Bowling Green uh, both qualified. Obviously, Miami, Ohio uh, at that time, led by uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Ball State, they hadn't been ranked since 2008, which was obviously the year they went 12-0 and and ended up losing their final two games of the season. Um this is the first time, though, if you know, if you recall that year, Ball State lost the MAC championship game to Buffalo, and then they went on to lose their bowl game as well. So they weren't ranked or to end of the year. So the first time ever for Ball State that they finished in the top 25 at the end of the season. And I tell you what, um, this is a team, Sam, we've talked about it before, Ball State. They have a lot of uh, returning starters coming back next year. A lot of seniors that could have moved on decided to take that extra year of eligibility and come back. This is a team with some real momentum moving into next season that could, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would be a little bit surprised, but I, I, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility to see Ball State ranked in the, in the preseason top 25 next year. 
Yeah, you mentioned we have 16 seniors returning, uh, 19 of the 19 um, starters uh, returning for next year. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think we should look at this season from a whole. I think we we have to be pleased. Not only do we have two two uh, uh, two uh, bull bull victories in Ball State and Buffalo. Ball State being ranked, Buffalo being ranked, just having the success that we did throughout this really pandemic has been just, I would say, amazing how we got to this point, how we how we did, of course, have cancellations that we've seen with the Ohio programs and whatnot. But overall, Zach, I think this season was a success with all the pitfalls we had to go through. Yeah, I, I agree completely, Sam. And, and I think one thing that actually makes me especially happy this year is the fact that, you know, usually when a Mac team gets ranked, it's because they do that off of the back of, you know, maybe pulling off a big upset in the non-conference schedule where they beat a power five program. And then they use that as an initial vault into the polls, but obviously ball state Buffalo, the Mac are no teams had that opportunity this year. I mean, these are teams that got ranked strictly off of playing a mid-American conference schedule, which to me, that kind of shows a, a, a level of respect that the voters and the, and the nation has for the Mac and of them recognizing that like, hey, there are some solid football teams. There's good football being played in this conference. And, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the, the, the final um, postseason poll and, you know, San Jose State still stayed in the, ranked. They were 24th after Ball State beat them, but they were the only uh, Mountain West team ranked. And, um, you know, the, the Sun Belt had two as well with Coastal Carolina and uh, Louisiana Lafayette, but for the Mac to get two teams ranked there in the top 25, I think it does show some real respect that the, the nation has for the conference. I also think you make a great point in that these teams, it wasn't like that they had an upset and they won. They won because their season proved that they were the 23rd and 25th ranked program. So not only did it, Ball State really have a really good season, but even with the 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 conference championship loss Buffalo should be had just so proud of the season they had. And with all the transfers they're having and whatnot, they may not have another season like this. They, they may turn it around this season. Who knows, who knows what the future has for Buffalo, but for, for this season, how it turned out, I think Buffalo with their record and how they finished the season has to be proud of what they accomplished. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And and you gave me a, a perfect segue into our next story here, Sam. And I think we talked about Ball State having some real momentum moving into next season. Unfortunately for Buffalo, I'm not sure that we can say the same thing. You know, Jared Patterson uh, declared for the NFL draft. Antonio Nunn declared for the NFL draft. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz and some of those guys on defense have declared for the NFL draft. And now this next story with with Kevin Marks, I think, caught us all by surprise a little bit. Yeah, Kevin Marks, if you don't know, on Twitter announced that he's entering the transfer portal, essentially. And, of course, that does mean he can return to Buffalo if he does choose so. But I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't honestly expect him to, if I'm being honest. I've seen he's gotten offers from Purdue so far. I know he has interest from several Power 5 schools. So he could possibly return to the MAC. But, Zach, if I'm being honest, it doesn't look promising for him to do so. I agree. And I think, you know, you mentioned he has an offer from Purdue and some other power five programs have showed interest in him. I, I think that seems to me to be kind of his motivation, similar to what Tony Poljan did last year with Central Michigan. He transferred to, to Virginia to, you know, give himself an opportunity to compete against, a, you know, a quote unquote higher level of competition in a power five conference in the ACC. 
I think Kevin Marks is thinking along those same lines. Obviously, I don't want to speak for him, but that does kind of seem uh, to, to be where his his head is at. I don't necessarily um, I'm not going to hold that against him or fault him for that. I, I understand where he's coming from. At the same time, though, I mean, he could have been the guy for Buffalo next year and, and could have potentially had a season similar to what Jared Patterson did this year. So I think if I'm a Bulls fan, I'm, I'm obviously disappointed in this. You know, you look at their uh, their roster behind Kevin Marks at the at the running back position. You know, they got Ron Cook Jr. was their third leading rusher this year. Uh, he was a, he's a sophomore. Uh, from DC. So he has a couple years of eligibility left, but he only had 20 carries for 81 yards all season. Obviously didn't get a chance to really do a ton. If I'm, if I'm a Buffalo fan, I, I got my fingers crossed and I'm really hoping that Kevin Marks does decide to return because I think that could have a big impact on their season next year. But like you said, when he has offers from Purdue and, and some other power five teams on the table, I don't know how likely that is. Yeah, and when we, I, I thought what we saw in the bowl game was going to be kind of hinting at what we could see in the future. We saw him get, I, I'm looking at the stats now, 35 carries, 138 yards in the touchdown. This was his backfield to lead, lead, unlike these past three years where he's kind of had to sit behind um, James Patterson and just kind of wait out his turn. But th- this isn't really the case anymore. Uh, maybe Ron Cook Jr. could step into the hole and fill those shoes, but it's going to be hard when, like you said, he doesn't have a lot of experience, only 20 carries on the season. It's going to be hard to uh, replace him. Not only that, I think Zach LaFave also entered um, in the, um, the the transfer portal for Buffalo, so you're losing another weapon. You yeah. have Antonio Nunn leaving. You have Patterson leaving. So if I'm a Buffalo fan, not only on the defensive side of the ball, now offensively, you're kind of looking at the next man to step up, and hopefully they can do that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I think – over the last couple of years, we've seen Lance Leipold recruit very well up there in Buffalo. I think there's some stability within the program. Uh, it's still, though, you always hate to see this whenever, you know, a team has success like this and have such an exodus of players um, that, you know, especially when they're guys that were so instrumental in the success of the team. Um, so, like we said, there is an opportunity that there is a chance that Kevin Marks may take his name out of the transfer portal and end up coming back uh, to the Bulls next year. But you never know what's going on there. Similar story there uh, to what uh, Kevin Marks is doing. Sam, we we talked last week about Ball State getting that transfer, Stanley Berryhill, the wide receiver from Arizona. Well, he announced this week that he is kind of uh, doing exactly what we think Kevin Marks may do is he ended up after committing to Ball State, uh, he only seemed to be committed to the Cardinals for a couple of days, maybe a week. He ended up taking his name out of the transfer portal and, and staying at Arizona. Yeah, after the Kevin, after the Kevin Sumlin de- departure for uh, I, I believe he just got fired. Um, yeah. uh, Stanley Berryhill decided to put in the transfer portal. He then proceeded to commit to Ball State. Uh, but I believe after probably talking to the coaching, the new coaching staff at Arizona, he decided it would be best to return uh, to Arizona. Uh, I, good thing it's not the biggest blow for Ball State as they have most, as I talked about earlier, have most of their stars returning. Uh, everybody but Antonio Davis and then the receiving core is returning. So good thing it's not the biggest blow, but it would have still been nice to see what he could have done taking his talents to Muncie. Yeah, he certainly would have been another nice weapon to have for, for Drew Plitt and the offense. I think, I think you're exactly right, though. I don't think, I don't think uh, Barry Hill 
you know, decommitting from the Cardinals changes their outlook or anything next year. And, you know, one thing about me that was always odd about this story is that, you know, Stanley Berryhill, he's, he's a local product for Arizona, right? He grew up in Tucson there and he's, you know, he's playing in his own hometown, his backyard. I understand him entering into the transfer portal and, you know, wanting to explore his options, it always seemed like a little bit of an odd fit for me for him to commit to a school so far away from his home to go all the way out to Indiana and play for Ball State. But one thing we were talking about beforehand, Sam, before we started recording is, you know, if he wasn't sure about that decision, why announce your commitment in the first place? I mean, you, it's one thing to have your name in the transfer portal and, and you know, being exploring your options, but to say, you know, to commit to Ball State and only have that commitment hold for, what was it? It couldn't have been more than a week before he announced that, you know, he withdrew his commitment and he was returning to Arizona. It all just seemed very odd to me. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. And I and I understand, like you said, putting your name in the transfer portal, Kevin Sumlin's gone. You don't really know who Jed Fish is and what he's bringing to the table. But at least at least think it over. Like I was talking to you beforehand, when we committed to my for me ball saying you Penn State, we we stuck by it. Like we could have you could have went to Pittsburgh, I could have went to IU, but we looked at our options, made the best option for us and stuck with it. And that's the thing that kind of frustrates me is why are you gonna say you're committed if you're not truly committed to a school? Like like you can ex- definitely explore your options, but don't just jump the gun for then you to say like like say screw it and then go back. It just it just seems like a, a bad move Le- leads a bad taste in my mouth anybody who do, does that and yeah that's just my feelings on it yeah no I hear you and I think you know in the last couple of years since the NCAA instituted this new this transfer portal it's really it's really kind of changed things it seems like every year you see tons of kids entering in the portal and a lot of them end up not even going anywhere it's like they're just going out there to see if there's anything better it's almost like the grass is always greener on the other side until you realize it's not I, I don't know. I I understand why they've instituted the transfer portal, and I think for the most part it does work. But when you see stories like this, it's always like I I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it. Yeah, the the only thing I say is like I do think the transfer portal is beneficial. Is you you can always see what's out there and see maybe you have a better option to get more playing time, whatever. But I feel like there should be a stipulation where if you commit somewhere, you should have to. St- stick with it if you go in the transfer portal and decide to commit somewhere because it's just it's just like you like like i i don't know that it's just like hard hard to explain where i'm coming from but i like i'm all for uh, athletes exploring their options and i think they have every right to but at the same time if you're gonna say i'm going somewhere then go somewhere don't just don't just back out like a week later yeah to yeah because you didn't like the decision you made you, yeah. you have the transfer portal to evaluate your choices and you're supposed to use that to make the best choice. And then you just kind of back out because you realize it wasn't the best choice, which was the whole point of the transfer portal to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly, uh, it certainly does lead to some, some odd stories. And, and one other thing I would say is that, um, you know, with the transfer portal, obviously it's become such a big thing in the off season for, for college football programs. There's been ton of Mac players who have announced that they are going to transfer. There's been tons of players announcing that they are transferring into Mac programs. So here at the hustle belt, 
Um, we do have on the main page there a, a transfer portal tracker for all of our MAC teams, right? So anyone that's announced that they're transferring, we update that. We keep track of that. Anyone that's announced they've transferred into a MAC program, we have that on there as well. So we know that it can be kind of hard to keep track of all of this. So I just wanted to give that plug to anyone that's looking for kind of a comprehensive list of where we're tracking all of this information, you can go to the Hustle Belt main page and see our transfer uh, portal tracker right there. We update that every day as news comes in. So just something, to, uh, you know, another resource for Mac fans to, to be able to keep track of all this because we know there's a lot. There's a ton of movement right now in college football. So we, we put that tool together to kind of, uh, you know, keep track of all that. Uh, moving on to our next story here. Sam, uh, you know, it's, it's the middle of January. We're about a month out, maybe a little bit more than a month out from the return of, of college baseball. And, and the Mac announced some news here recently about the format of the season this year. Yeah, uh, Mac, Mac uh, Baseball announced their format for the upcoming season. Mac Baseball teams can schedule up to 56 games. Teams can play up to uh, 16 non-conference games and 40 conference games. If you want to check out everything, that uh, the Mac announced you can on the hustlebelt.com. Uh, they have everything that changed, including the conference game format will consist of a four game weekend series with Saturdays and the Mac consisting of seven inning double headers. So if you're curious about Mac baseball, you could check everything out at the, the hustlebelt.com. We have an article that lays everything out. Yeah. And I think it's interesting here is that the Mac seems to be taking uh, a little bit of an opposite approach to what they did in uh, in football this year, right? So the MAC, when they announced they're returning in football, they were saying, we're going conference only, no non-conference games, no exceptions. And there were a lot of other football conferences, obviously, that allowed their teams some leeway to play non-conference games, and they scheduled more conference games. And it seems like the situation is flipped here because when you look at this, the MAC is allowing uh, for 56 games and 16 non-conference games. You compare that to some of the Power Five conferences. You know, the ACC is limiting their teams to only playing 50 games this year. The Big Ten is not allowing any non-conference uh, competition, similar to what they did in football. And uh, some smaller conferences like the Colonial Athletic Association are um, are only you know they're scheduling 24 conference games and allowing each team kind of their own discretion to schedule in the non-conference. So it seems like here the MAC is taking a little bit more of a flexible approach than what they did in, in football, which I think is a good thing for the programs. I mean, spring sports and, and baseball and softball and stuff like that. These were the sports obviously most affected by the pandemic last year. You know, you look at um, the, the 2020 standings from the Mac. I mean, these teams only got to play, you know, 15, 16, 17 games. I mean, that's not even one third of their season. So I think it's cool that the Mac is allowing their teams to schedule a little bit more liberally this year to make up for what was essentially a lost season last year. Yeah, I think I think everybody can agree on this is better than what we had last game last season where we had basically like 10, 15 games. Ball State ended up playing 16 before canceling their season. And so I think and we get basically what's 56 divided by 16. So what, that's like three times as much, four times yeah, as much. Yeah. 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 So like whenever you can, whenever you can get uh, more games, that's definitely a plus. And when you talk about a 56 game schedule, not only for MLB draft sakes, but just to, just to watch these programs, I think is, is a uh, much improved positive from the previous season. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, 
as we get closer to baseball season, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the year a little bit more and, and do some more in-depth breakdowns and stuff like that. But, you know, you go back to 2019, two years ago, the last time we had a full baseball season, you know, you look at the final standings there, you got Central Michigan, Ball State, Kent State, uh, all right up there at the top of the conference. I know your Cardinals that year, uh, Sam, finished 20 and five in the conference. So certainly uh, there are some strong programs here uh, in the MAC that are really, really itching to get back onto the field. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you got Akron is going to be back for their full, first full season uh, of baseball since their program had been previously cut in 2015. Bowling Green's baseball team was was dropped last year. And then after some donations from alumni and, and stuff of that nature, they were able to bring their program back. So I know Bowling Green and Akron are both very eager to get back onto the diamond. And then uh, Central Michigan, like I mentioned, they're the, the defending MAC champions. Uh, they were recently ranked 38th in, in college baseball's preseason top 50. So certainly high expectations uh, for the Chippewas this year. So like I said, with, uh, with baseball season right around the corner, we'll, we'll get a little bit more uh, in depth there um, once, you know, we get, we get closer to, to the start of the season, but obviously some big news there in terms of um, just kind of how the format of the season and how it's going to go. I think those Saturday seven inning double headers are going to be pretty interesting uh, to, to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, Sam, any stories we missed? Anything else you wanted to cover here in the news segment? Um, not really. Uh, just uh, a little bit more about Mac baseball. It, it does seem like we're slowly getting back to what we had previously two years ago with full seasons. Baseball is coming back. We've obviously went, seen winter sports roll out more and more. And with the vaccine talk um, coming, being rolled out slowly but surely, who knows, maybe next season we can finally get a, a full start getting full seasons back, no more COVID regulations and whatnot. Maybe, maybe it's too early to say, but I'm crossing my fingers. And hopefully we can uh, get, uh, and, and not to mention um, uh, fans back in the stands. Yeah, certainly. I think there's, there's a, a hope out there for sure that by this coming fall, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've seen different timelines for vaccine rollouts and stuff like that, but hopefully by the fall, we can be have some semblance of, of normalcy, knock on wood, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens there. Moving on uh, into our, our Twitter segment here. So we talked last week. We apologize. We, we didn't have a chance to get to our Twitter question from two weeks ago, which, um, Sam, I'll, I'll let you talk about that a little bit. We obviously had an awesome question here with, with some great responses about some of the better rivalries in the Mac. Yeah, so before we talk into about the new segment, I thought we would just talk about the Twitter question. So Twitter question of the week. So uh, I uh, we tweeted out, I've seen Miami University and Ball State go back and forth on Twitter. With that being said, tell us who has the best Mac rivalry and why. And we got a lot of responses, I believe nine, nine replies and one quote tweet that we have to get into. So hopefully as we roll out these Twitter questions, we can get uh, more responses. But yeah, Zach, we had, we had a lot. We had quite a few responses. Yeah, no, no doubt. And uh, our, our, I'll kick it off. You know, our friends over at the, uh, the, the College Sports Connection podcast, uh, Alex and AJ, shout out to them. Go follow them. Go listen to their podcast if you aren't already, because uh, if you're not, you're missing out on some great stuff. But they had mentioned, they responded and said that uh, Toledo and Bowling Green is elite and that uh, Northern Illinois and Ball State is a great rivalry, too. I think when I think of Mac rivalries, Sam, Toledo and Bowling Green is always one of the ones that seems like the most heated to me between the two fan bases. So I'd, I'd have to agree with them here um, on both of these. I think Northern Illinois Ball State's a little bit underrated as well. Not one that some people talk about as much, but the battle for the bronze stock is always hotly contested as well. 
Yeah, I will say Toledo and Bowling Green, Bowling Green, my bet on that, seems like always the most highly debated on Twitter with our uh, friends at uh, Reese Timbrook um, always uh, saying F Toledo, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So it's always hot, highly debated. It's always fun to see. It was fun to watch that to- Toledo Bowling Green football uh, game we watched this past week. It didn't end up the closest, but it was still always fun to watch that ri- that, that rivalry game. Yeah, no doubt. And I think this year uh, in basketball with, you know, on the men's side with how, you know, how the both of those teams are playing going to be some awesome games between those two schools here. Uh, And I I can't remember off the top of my head, but geography wise, I think the two campuses are separated by like less than 20 miles or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, certainly proximity uh, plays, uh, plays a big part in that one. Our friends over at uh, Zips United also, um, responded and said that it's Akron Kent short sweet to the point they said I, I that's another one it's similar to, to Bowling Green and Toledo I mean those schools are separated by like 15 miles very close I think this is a rivalry to me especially in basketball that means a lot to both schools both schools very competitive on the on the hardwood obviously football you know I'm not dismissing it as well I just think both schools are traditionally a little bit more successful in basketball and that's where you kind of see this one come out a little bit yeah, I, I, I think Akron uh, Kent is definitely a good shot. We also set, had uh, Hubri Bigger, who also to Akron Kent isn't even close. I think I, I have to agree. It's definitely a good rivalry. Um, I, I will say, Zach, the one the one team I want to see have a rivalry, it just doesn't seem like they do, and it's Buffalo. Like, why can't we get Buffalo? I know they're not in yeah. the same state. They're obviously in New York or whatever, but I'm sure we could fit them in, have a rivalry, maybe – Maybe a uh, maybe a Miami Ohio Buffalo Buffalo rivalry or a Ball State Buffalo rivalry, something like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think the thing, two things working against Buffalo here is first of all is they are a much more recent addition to the conference. They've only been in the league for you know, uh, 20, they joined in the '90s. I know, so they've only been in the league for like 22, 23 years, something along those lines. And I also think the other thing that is. Uh, kind of hampering them is is just geography right a lot of these rivalries are between teams that have been either a playing each other for like a hundred years or b is like they're they're only separated by a couple miles their their two campuses buffalo doesn't have a kind of a natural geographical partner in the conference and they also haven't been around long enough to really develop any long-standing rivalries with any of these teams. So I agree with you. It would be cool to see Buffalo develop a rivalry over, over the years. I think with, uh, with how competitive and how good they've been on both in football and basketball uh, men's and women's over the last five or six years, when you have success like that, I think that lends itself to being able to find kind of a natural rival. It hasn't really happened yet, but you're right. And maybe that's a question that we can ask our Buffalo friends on Twitter here is like, you know, if you had to pick a team in the Mac that you feel kind of some sort of connection to or some hatred towards, who is it and why? Because I think it, it would make sense and we'd all like to see Buffalo have a natural rival in the conference. I do agree. And our next rivalry, Andrew Holland boss said the marching 110 versus the Miami football team. I, you, I, I, I don't know how to say it. I, you, I, I think he's just saying, if you know, you know. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, not yeah. really good with the slang apparently. So yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think the, he's obviously alluding to the Ohio, uh, the marching 110, the Ohio marching band and and the Miami Redhawks. And 
Um, you know, this is another, this is one of those historical rivalries. These teams have been playing for a hundred years uh, for the battle of the bricks. This is another one of those historical rivalry in the, in, in the Mac where Ohio, you and Miami, they, they don't like each other and, and they're not shy about that. And so this is another one that I kind of put in that category of um, not necessary not necessarily, you know, so close geographically like Bowling Green and Toledo or Akron and Kent, but they do fall into that category of like they've played so many times over the years, both being members of the MAC for such a long time that they've kind of developed a lot of bad blood. This is one I think that's been very hotly contested on the football field here, you know, over the last 20 years as Ohio's had, uh, you know, gotten some success under Frank Solich and Miami traditionally a very good football school as well. So this is another one that I, I, I love to love to watch. And there's all Always great games, both football and basketball, and, and across the board here. Yeah, I agree. It was it was unfortunate. It was one of the games canceled Ohio and Miami, Ohio, so we didn't get to see it this year. Hopefully, it's uh back to being played next year. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. It's definitely it's definitely one of the the, the hotly contested rivalries that that we definitely need to talk about. With that being said, we've got uh, our friend uh, at Smanichael said. WM Western Michigan versus Central Michigan is not even close. Starting in 1907, arguably the best players to ever suit up in the MAC have played in this rivalry. Yeah, no doubt. And, and he was referring to, to football specifically, but this is another one hotly contested across the board. You can put this one into the geographical category. You can put this one into the historical rivalry category. Like he said, they've been playing since 1907. Um, this is another one, to be honest with you, even as a Mac fan, I don't know quite as much about this rivalry between Western and Central. So this is another one I'm excited to learn more about. And, uh, and you know, we'll get as we get to the end of this segment, we'll talk a little bit about how, how we're going to go about that. But um, this is another one. I mean, when he talks about, you know, by the best players, you know, you know, the players that went on to the NFL, obviously both of these teams um, have put a lot of talent into the NFL. You think about Central Michigan and guys like, you know, Antonio Brown, and even some of the guys that never made it to the NFL that were still such great college players in the Mac. Uh, this is another one that I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that I'm not quite as uh, well-versed on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm willing to say the best players ever to suit in the MAC have all played in this rivalry, but yeah, yeah, I will sure. say so, I will say some of the best. I, I will say that I think there there has been plenty of uh, players who have gone unnoticed that have played in the MAC uh, throughout se- all the teams, whether it's Akron, whether it's Ball State, whether it's Kent State, whether it's Miami, Ohio. They've all had their players who haven't really gotten their shot. And yes, the, the this rivalry does have some of the best players to ever suit up in the MAC. I wouldn't say. They, they have the best players to ever suit up in the MAC. With that being said, we are at our our friend Reese Timbrook said glass uh, the Glass City um, F Toledo essentially Ohio lost the war with uh, Michigan and had to take to- Toledo it's BGSU <laughs> Toledo because Toledo is the worst. See that right there, tweets like that are why I love the Bowling Green Toledo rivalry like. It, there, there's no love lost between these two schools. Like they're, they're not polite about it. They're not shy about it. They hate each other and, and they're proud to say it. And that to me, that's a, that's a great rivalry. Like, it seems to me almost like, it, it seems to me almost like a mini kind of Ohio state, Michigan rivalry where like, there is so much venom between these two fan bases, the fact that they get to play every year and the fact that those games honestly mean more than anything else to these two schools. A couple months ago, as we were doing um, 
uh, our, our football season previews, we had uh, a friend of the show, uh, Nick Petrovich, who covers Bowling Green for uh, the Toledo Blade. And, and one of the things that he said about the 2019 season for Bowling Green was that even though it was a disaster, Bowling Green fans were okay with what happened only because they beat Toledo that year, right? It was such a big upset that even though they only went three and nine that season, Bowling Green fans were happy because they beat the Rockets. And I think that to me is what makes a great rivalry. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. It's kind of like the Army-Navy uh, rivalry where sure. it, they, they could win only one game, but if it's that Army-Navy game, any fan base is happy. And I think that's a credit to a great rivalry. But Zach, I think I want to know just like what starts these rivalries? Is it just one day, one neighbor from each college is just like, I hate you. And that that's about <laughs> it. Like, yeah, it's like, obviously there's sibling, sibling rivalry and like, I get where that starts from. But where do these colleges like get their hatred from? Because because I'm assuming most of these high schools have or most of these colleges like students went to the same high school with people who went to the uh, different college. So, yeah, I, I just want to know where the, where this hatred just comes from. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with that completely. I'm always interested to hear about like the origin stories of a rivalry, the anatomy of the rivalry, if you will. And, and that's something that I'm excited uh, to, to learn uh, a little bit more about. Our next response here, um, our guy, Ruby Bainer, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, at H-R-E-W-B-Y. He said Akron Kent, and it's not even close. That's another one. I, I think there, you know, there's, there's no love lost between those two schools. We've talked about that. Um, Ryan Kratzer mentioned uh, Ohio versus Miami, Ohio, and said it, no question, said it's the oldest rivalry in the MAC. Extremely similar schools and campuses, but very different student bodies. I think, you know, there's, there, it seems to me like there's like three or four kind of like top rivalries in the MAC that are getting mentioned the most. Obviously, Bowling Green, Toledo, Akron, Kent, Ohio, Miami, Ohio, Western Michigan, Central Michigan. Those to me seem to be like kind of the top four. I agree. But Zach, I think we may have one uh, rivalry that's emerging. I think that may be the Miami Ball State University rivalry that we've seen go back on Twitter. Uh, Miami University essentially saying they have the MAC championship because they beat Ball State, but Ball State saying you you were sitting on the couch with the MAC championship. So <laughs> yeah, that 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 basically sums it up. So Zach, I think we may see that kind of. It may not be as big as the others, but I think come football season next season, I believe they do play each other. That yeah. it will be a, a fun one to watch. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So here we. What we're going to do moving forward, guys, is that this this new segment that is going to be focused on the best rivalries in the MAC. Now, Sam and I are big MAC fans. We love following the conference. We love covering the conference. It's it's something that we really enjoy. With that said, we're not experts on these rivalries. So what we're going to do moving forward is we're going to tie this in with our Twitter question every week. So every week here over the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask uh, our listeners to, uh, we're going to pick a specific rivalry every week, and we're going to ask our listeners to educate us on that rivalry a little bit. So this first week that we're going to be doing this, uh, the, the rivalry that we're going to be focusing on is, is Bowling Green and Toledo. So Bowling Green fans, Toledo fans, or any of our listeners in general, 
when we put that question up this week, what we want to hear from you is we want to know what are some of the best games in the history of this rivalry? What are some of the best moments, the notable plays, um, the, you know, the biggest, you know, the players who stepped up in some of those big games. Those are the things that we want to know because we could do some research ourselves and tell you guys what we think were the best moments in each rivalry and what we think were some of the best uh, games, players, et cetera. But we feel like it would be better coming from you if you guys told us we don't we're not experts on these rivalries. We don't we don't live and breathe them like these fan bases do. So we're really excited to kind of see what you guys give us and, and, and what it's going to be. So, again, we're going to start with Bowling Green and Toledo this week. All you guys, we want you to tell us what you think the best games in the history of the rivalry are. That can be any sport, uh, any year, any moment, whatever the case may be. And then we'll kind of break those down in a little bit more depth next week. And we'll do that in the subsequent weeks with, uh, with, with the other rivalries that we've talked about here today. Yeah, I agree. I think you said anything, everything perfectly, any moment, any gift you have, any, any thoughts, any, um, just really, just really anything on the rivalry you mentioned, we're doing Toledo Bowling Green, whatever rivalry we do next after that, give us your thoughts, give us all your hatred, give us all your, every, every emotion you have about each rivalry as we kind of discuss it each week. And yeah, keep, uh, keep responding like you did this past week. Awesome. So that, that's kind of how we're going to be going about this year over the next month or so guys, we're, we, you know, Sam and I were talking and we were just really interested in, in learning a little bit more about, like, like I said, the anatomy of these rivalries and how they started and, um, you know, wh- why the hatred runs so deep between these teams. So we're really looking forward to this, guys. We, we really, um, you know, we're, we're not experts on them, but we want to become experts on them. So we're looking forward to interacting with you guys on all this. And uh, this is going to be a fun segment, I think, moving forward, um, you know, to, to learn a little bit more here about the history of the Mac and how these rivalries kind of started. So that'll be our, uh, our next uh, kind of our, our, you know, another segment moving forward that we're going to be doing here over the next couple of months. With that said, though, uh, we'll wrap that up and move on now, obviously, to our, our basketball segment. There's a lot going on on the hardwood this past week, Sam. Um, let's let's you know we've been starting on the women's side here over the last couple of weeks, so let, let's talk about the men's side first this week, and, and we'll get to the women's side here in a couple minutes. Um, been a big week in, in MAC basketball this year, Sam, or this week, Sam. A lot going on, a lot of conference games. Things are kind of getting into full swing here. And i um, curious to get any, you know, big takeaways you had from, from the past week on, on the men's side on the hardwood. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's start off with the Ohio side of things. And oh, Toledo getting two big wins, not only getting a, a, a double-digit win against Ohio, winning 95-78. We got Toledo just absolutely crushing Eastern Michigan, winning 96 96- 63 if i'm doing that math right that's uh 33 points i believe yeah yeah, yeah. i tell you what man I, toledo is a team that has really really surprised me and i think surprised a lot of people they were not a team that was picked at you know the very top of the conference to start the year but i mean they're on a what are they on a six game winning streak if i'm not mistaken and they're you know at the top of the conference undefeated in mac play right now this is a team that i don't think anybody wants to play at the moment and you know sitting at 10 and 3 overall and even with that you look at i mean one of their losses was to michigan who over the last couple of weeks has proven to be one of the best teams in the country i mean they are blowing teams out even in the big 10 
And you look at the way Toledo's playing right now, the way they're shooting the ball. Uh, I mean, they've scored, you know, 90 in two straight games. And even the game before that against Kent State, they scored 84. They got so many guys that can score, so many guys that can put the ball in the bucket. I mean, you got Ryan Rollins, Spencer Littleson, Marion Jackson, Cedric Milner. I mean, this is a team that I don't – if I was an opposing team in the MAC right now, I would not want to play the Rockets at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned everything there. I, I got to give myself a little bit of credit. I, I said uh, Mark Sears was my uh, player of the week last week, and he had 20 points in a, in a losing effort, yes. But six of eight shooting – 20 points from the field. Again, I, I said this bold statement that I would have Mark Sears as my freshman of the year. If Jason Preston continues to be out and he continues to deliver, he only had nine points against Miami, Ohio. But with with him, with Jason Preston out, Mark Sears just continues to deliver for me. And he he's just proving why, even with Jason Preston out, that he deserves some minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you completely. He's He has been very, very impressive. I think that Toledo and Ohio game there um, featured two the two best freshmen in the MAC, in my opinion. You mentioned uh, Sears from Ohio, and then on the other side of the ball, you got Ryan Rollins for Toledo. Um, he's he's really playing well for the, the Rockets right now. He's averaging 14.5 points a game, a little bit over five rebounds, uh, shooting the ball really well, shooting 42% overall, 38% from three. Uh, he had 16 uh, points in that game against Ohio the other night, followed that up with, with 14 points against Eastern Michigan. Um, this is a team, though, Toledo, that, you know, they are on a roll. Uh, I got to correct myself, something I said earlier. They, they've won eight in a row uh, right now. Their next game, they got they got Akron um, at Akron on Saturday. So certainly, you know, going on the road in the MAC, never an easy thing. Um, but it's certainly something that, uh, you know, that you will see if they're up to the task for. I mentioned Akron, though, Sam, and I, I got to be honest, this is a team that I was high on a couple weeks ago, but two really disappointing performances uh, for, for the Zips this week. First off, on Saturday, you know, they go to Ypsilanti to take on Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan was 0-2 in the conference going into this game. They were missing Thomas Benelli, one of their starters, and yet Akron just they, they couldn't hit a shot. They lost that game 71 to 59 only shot. Uh, you know, they'd shot 25% from the three point land in that game. Uh, just a, a very, very lackluster performance for the zips. And then they follow that up on Tuesday with a, a loss at Northern Illinois, giving Northern Illinois their first conference win of the season. A couple weeks ago, I thought it seemed like Akron was starting to put things together here and really starting to, to kind of get the ball rolling and hit fire in all cylinders. But it's been a disappointing week if I'm, if I'm a Zips fan. Yeah, I will say, like, like you said, uh, about uh, starting in December when they started uh, playing conference games, they had a 20-point win against Ohio and Kent's and a win against a, a nice Kent State team, and we were singing kind of their high praise. And then they just follow up with two duds against an Eastern Michigan team that just hasn't looked the best. And then they follow that up with a Northern Illinois loss who just fired their head coach about, what, a week ago? Yeah. So if, if Akron just isn't kind of uh, opposite of Toledo where they're just kind of just fa falling out, bottoming out, whatever you want to call it, at the wrong time. Toledo's getting hot. Uh, Akron's just kind of kind of falling down. Yeah, and, and the thing about Akron that is concerning to me is on the offensive side of the ball, 
you know, you have guys like, you know, you got Lauren Christian Jackson and, and Ali Ali. And, and with, because of that, you think that this is a team that's going to be able to score, but offensively things just aren't working for, for the zips right now. Like I mentioned against Eastern Michigan on Saturday, shot 25% from three point land, only 42% overall. Then they follow that up on Tuesday uh, against Northern Illinois. They go 41% from the field. They lose this game against Northern Illinois by two points and they go six for 13 from the free throw line. If you hit even 70% of your free throws in that game, you win. And it just, the thing that concerns me beyond that is that there doesn't seem to be much of a, a killer instinct with the Zips right now. Against Eastern Michigan, they had an eight-point lead halfway through the first half. They get outscored by 15 the rest of the first half, and then Northern, or excuse me, Eastern Michigan pulls away in the second half. Against Northern Illinois on Tuesday, they're up eight with 15 minutes to go, and they out, get outscored by 10 points the rest of the way. I think I don't think it's a stretch to say that Akron has more talent than both of those teams that they just lost to. And when you get up on teams like that, you got to be able to keep your foot on the gas and pull away. And they just don't seem to be able to do that right now. I agree. And looking ahead for the Zips, they've got a game a home, a home game against Toledo. And then they follow that up with a, a game at Bowling Green and Bowling Green. So if, if you're looking at a place to get hot, you might want to do it do it soon because if they lose these two next games, it's going to be hard to come back from a two and four conference record heading um, into uh, February. Yeah, I, I agree with that com- completely. This is a, a, a vital stretch for the Zips and their season uh, right now. Sam, you mentioned Bowling Green. Obviously, Bowling Green, a team that had been playing really well, they're still at the top of the conference, but your Cardinals went in there on Tuesday night, and I tell you what, that was the best I've seen Ball State look all season. They end up pulling away and winning that game by 24 in Bowling Green. Yeah, I think it just came down to at the, the end of the, the day, we which we haven't been able to do all season, is just be able to hit shots. We shot 55% of the field, 46 from three, 12 of 26 from three. Bowling Green shot 38% from the field and uh, shot and shot 20% from three. So at the end of the day, we haven't been able to hit shots consistently, especially from three all season. But today, or not today, when, whenever they played Bowling Green, I think it was yesterday, they, they just were able to do that. They had four other five starters uh, hit uh, double digits, and it was just a great performance from them. Yeah, you're right. And it just was one of those nights for Bowling Green where, you know, Ball State, I'm not taking anything away from Ball State defensively. I thought defensively they played very well uh, from when I, you know, watching that game. But Bowling Green, it was just one of those nights where it didn't seem, outside of Justin Turner, nobody really seemed to show up for the Falcons. I mean, Turner finished with 18 points. He was the only Falcons uh, player that got into double digits. Daquan Plowden only had six. Um uh, Trey Diggs only had six. This is just a team that they, they weren't able to hit a shot in this game. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, five for 24 from three point land were the Falcons in this game uh, overall from the field, only 39%. I think Bowling Green, this is still a team that's dangerous and, you know, five and one in the conference by no means am, am I hitting the panic button if I'm a Falcons fan, but I do think similar to what you said um, about, you know, you know, Ball State being able to hit their shots. I think moving forward, as long as Bowling Green can hit their shots, they're going to be just fine. But man, you know, you give up 88 points at home to Ball State. 
Um, Ish Elamine, he had himself quite a game, 20 points, seven for 15 from the field. KJ Walton added 14 as well. I think for me, Sam, if I'm a Ball State fan like you, this is a, a very encouraging performance for me, especially coming off of two lackluster performances at Buffalo last Saturday and then also, you know, that loss to Ohio a couple weeks ago at home. Yeah, I will say one thing uh, talking about Bowling Green real fast. I think this is just a hiccup. You rattle off five straight wins where you look super impressive. This was bound to happen in a 20-plus game season. You are bound to have one of these games where you just can't hit your shots and your and a team just outshoots you, and that's what happened. So I think moving forward, Bowling Green should just be fine with where they're at. Maybe maybe this is a sign of thing to come, but based off one game, I don't think you can really hit the panic button. Like you said, you've got at Buffalo next uh, versus the Akron game, I said, and then at Central Michigan moving forward. So as long as you can continue to do what you have been able to do the past five previous games, Bowling Green will be just will be just fine. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, Ball State with a chance to kind of build on this momentum. Now they get uh, Northern Illinois coming into Worthen Arena on Saturday. I know the Cardinals uh, looking forward to the opportunity to, to put um, put another another uh, win to get together and, and get a little win streak going. I wanted to also mention uh, Kent State really quick. A couple really nice performances from the Golden Flashes this week. Last, uh, last Saturday took on Western Michigan at home. And uh, listen to this stat, Sam. Uh, Kent State pulled away, won this game 80-54, to 54, which you look at that, and obviously that, that's the final score is not close. But this is a game that with 12 minutes left to go in this game, uh, Kent State was only winning by three points. It was 41-38 to 38 Kent State with 12 minutes to go in this game. They closed the game on a 39-16 to 16 run over the final 12 minutes of that game. I think they then follow that up with a nice win at Central Michigan uh, the other night. They pull away and win that game 91-85. to 85. Kent State seems to be putting things together for me. We talked about Danny Pippen last week. He had another couple great performances. Uh, he had 28 and 11 against Central Michigan. We've talked about Mike Nuga as well, the transfer from Portland State. He had 18 and 7 against Central Michigan. I also like uh, that their third scoring option seems to be emerging with the sophomore guard, Giovanni Santiago. He's from Puerto Rico. Uh, he had 11 versus Central Michigan and 13 versus Western Michigan this week. So this is a team in Kent State that, you know, they're only, you know, they're three and two in the league right now. They're sitting there in the middle of the pack in the conference. But even with that, this is a team that I think has some pieces that if they put everything together here over the next few months, I think they're going to be right there at the end of the year. Yeah, I think this is uh, a team that's very slept on. You look at their two losses. We talked about it last week with that Toledo loss. They very much could have won that game. And then their other conference loss was against an Akron team. They lost by four. So when you look at this team, this team could be sitting at undefeated if a few few things go their way. And I think that they're really they're better than their record shows. They're five and three, uh, three and two as a record. They're this this team is not a team you want to uh, sleep on. You mentioned everybody from Danny Pippen to their transfer to Mike Nuga. This team, moving forward, has to play Ohio, Buffalo, and Toledo, and I think they could very well win at least two of those games. I agree with that completely. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, you know, Central Michigan, on the other hand, 
Uh, you know what, Sam, it's, it's tough because this is a team that wants to play fast. They can really score the ball, but they've given up 90 plus points in three straight games. Now this one to Kent state, and then uh, both games to Bowling green last night, this is a team that's given up the, like I mentioned 90 plus in their last three games and five times overall this year, they've given up 90 points. I know that they like to play fast. They like to press. They like to put pressure on you and create turnovers, this is kind of the risk that you run whenever you play that style, though, is that if you have a team that can handle the press and, and break the press, you're going to give up a lot of points. And I don't know, Central Michigan, it seems like they got to figure something out here because, again, giving up over 90 points a night and, you know, they're averaging on the year giving up over 85 a game. You know, that, that's, not, that's not a recipe for success. I, th- I think, Zach, the game that, that kind of told us uh, – kind of predicted the future for the central Michigan team was that loss against Flagler. Yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be losing to a, what was it? D three school. I believe they're D two, but regardless, the point is the same. Yeah. But lose it to a D two school, not even by one point, not even losing to by two points, but losing by 19. I yeah. think that just kind of told you what this central Michigan team was going to, the, the type of season that they were going to have. And I'm honestly not surprised that they're they're losing to these other schools, especially their two back-to-back losses to Bowling Green by that much. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah, you know, Keno Davis, uh, head coach for the the Chippewas, he's in his ninth year there up in Mount Pleasant. Certainly has uh, has some work to do. And then um, the other notable story here, I just wanted to mention quickly um, as we get into, uh, but you know, before we move on to the women's side, is you know, with Ohio, we've talked about the emergence of Mark Sears. Well, uh, Ohio, they got themselves a nice win the other night in the Battle of the Bricks, seventy-eight to sixty-one over uh, Miami. That game did include the return of Jason Preston. Uh, Thirty-two minutes, he went uh, had ten points. Six rebounds, eight assists, a nice stat line for him. Even with that, though, Mark Sears, though, you know, we were curious about how they were going to keep him integrated into the team with the return of Jason Preston. Well, Mark Spears still 20, uh, 20 minutes in that game. He had nine points, seven rebounds, four assists. They did, you know, there were some times where they had Sears and Preston on the court at the same time. I think. This is something that I, I, you know, I don't think they expected Sears to have to play this much, but now that he has and he's proven himself, it gives them another legitimate option moving forward. Uh, they got the win there over the Red Hawks, dropped the Red Hawks to one and two in the conference thus far. So I, I think Ohio is another team that, uh, you know, I'm going to be keeping my on, eye on moving forward. I definitely agree with that. And Zach, how about we talk about some women's hoops now? Yeah, let's move right into it, Sam. You read my mind. So with that being said, we, we've got uh, four games to talk about. We've got a nice Central Michigan win against a Buffalo team. Uh, Buffalo, we're, we're going to be talking about them twice here. Yeah, and uh, it was a big week. Um, you know, in, in the conference, Buffalo, obviously, you know, we talked last week how two games this week that we really had our eye on was obviously these, the two games involving Buffalo. We had sent that, you know, central Michigan was going up to Buffalo on Saturday. And then on, on Wednesday, uh, Buffalo taking on Bowling Green, the Bulls split those two games. We'll start with that central Michigan game though, Sam 79 to 63, the Chippewas pulled away. And uh, a game there that, you know, I talked last week about how I felt like them winning that game at Ohio a few weeks ago kind of put them in the driver's seat. And then to follow that up with uh, a win at Buffalo, who was previously undefeated, certainly bodes well for the Chippewas moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I, I do want to talk about the Central Michigan Buffalo game. And I, I think what Buffalo's problem moving forward is I think they're really going to be good in there. They, they showed that against Bowling Green with their win, the, the first place Bowling Green last week be, before they got knocked out this week. And that Daisha Fair, yes, she's being able to carry back to back 30 point performances, but everybody else is just not been able to live to the to the kind of uh, hype. You look at the Central Michigan game, their next highest score was 13, Jay Young. Their next leading score was uh, McEvans with seven. And then you look at the following game, which uh, Daisha Fair had 36. Their next leading score was 17, Hall coming off the bench, uh, putting up thir- 37 minutes. And I think, I think that's just a troubling stat moving forward, Zach. I, I do agree with you. I think that if, if, you know, Buffalo is going to want to compete throughout the rest of the season. They are going to have to find some offense outside of, of the Asha Fair. I know, you know, they're a team that they, they play good defense, but you still, you, you got to be able to, to score the basketball. Uh, the Asha Fair, she's, you know, second in the conference at 23.8 points a game. They don't have anyone else in the conference, you know, in, in, in the top 20 in terms of points per game. So I agree with you. They, they've got to get her some help. I think that's the one thing about Buffalo that, that does uh, concern me a little bit if I'm a Bulls fan. So, like I said, they, they, they play good defense. They're third in the conference in, in, you know, scoring defense. They're only giving up six, 66 points a game. They are averaging 74 points a game. But, you know, again, 74 points a game. And the Asha Fair's scoring 24 of those. So she's scoring literally one-third of your points. you got to find a secondary scoring option somewhere. Yeah, I agree. And I think the reason why Central Michigan was able to win, like you said, they, they were able to have a balanced scoring attack. You, you look at all their uh, starting five had over 10 points a game, 21 points from Waters, 16 from Davis, 13 from Smith, 10 from Bassell, and 13 from Kelly. That just tells you the story. Central Michigan, why they're able to have so much success. And Buffalo is having success to their credit. I'm just worried about their longevity is because Central Michigan is able to have – five scoring options essentially throughout their starting five, not to mention uh, coming off the bench. You do have some scores as well. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Now the good news, if I'm a, a, a bulls fan is that they followed up that subpar performance on Saturday against central Michigan with a very nice win at home uh, over Bowling green uh, just last night on Wednesday, they pulled away there uh, 82 to 74 uh, they, they, um, they ended up beating the Falcons. So uh, it is certainly a, a nice bounce back win for the bulls there. I will say though, even though it's a nice win, it's not sustainable. You had three, three, essentially three people who, who scored that entire game, who had most of your points. You had obviously Daisha fair. You had McEvans with 13, you had hall with 17 and your wrestler scores basically combined for what is that add up to like 15 points. Yeah. That's, that's not going to be able to sustain long-term if you want to win, win a lot of games and you want to be top in this conference because yes, they are five and one. And I've, I've had high praise force uh, Buffalo in the past, especially their women's program. But I just don't know if that's long uh, sustainable moving forward. No, I I do agree with you. And you know, you look when you look at the stats over the course of the season uh, for the Bulls. Uh, Fair obviously leads. She's you know she's averaging just under twenty five a game. You got Summer Hemphill at eleven and a half, and Cheyenne McEvans at ten 
uh, points per game. And after that, it's, it's a pretty steep drop-off. I mean, those are your only players averaging double digits. Hannah Hall, like you said, she did have a nice game. She's averaging 8.8 points a game. Jasmine Young, 8.7 as well. But um, I, I do agree with you, Sam, is that, you know, that's one thing, not just speaking specifically to Buffalo here, but in, in basketball in general, when you only have two or three players like that who can score, you start to become predictable, especially as the season moves on and as teams get used to your tendencies. All these other teams in the MAC, you know, they're they're gonna watch. You know, they're watching these games. They're they're, they're looking at the tape of these Buffalo games thus far, and they know that if you shut down Fair and Summer Hemphill and 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 Cheyenne McEvans, you, they know if you shut down even just one of them or two of them you're going to win the game because they don't have many other people that can get them a basket. So I understand that they kind of hang their hat on their defense and they do play very good defense. But like you mentioned in this game, you know, when you got your, you know, the 75% of your points coming from three players, not necessarily sustainable. I do. I do agree with you. And before we talk about the other games, I think we got to give a, a kind of quick update to who's leading the conference. And you've got Kent stay at a four and conference record five and two overall. And yes, they did have a cancellation, but their last game, which was five, five days ago, January 9th against a ball state was a pretty, pretty solid win. It wasn't, it wasn't a dominating win, but it will get the job done. Yeah, no doubt. And I think this is a team that we've talked about that as kind of a, of a dark horse, right? We had central Michigan and, and ball state and, or I'm sorry, central Michigan and Buffalo and Bowling Green kind of as are the teams that we've had at the top of the pack so far. And, and Kent State, like you mentioned, they, they've been a little bit under the radar, but a solid 70 to 61 uh, win over Ball State. This is another team where they, nothing that they do really jumps off the page at you, right? They're in the middle of the pack. They're eighth in the league in, off in scoring offense, seventh in the league in scoring defense. So they, they don't really do anything that, that, blows you away they they do rebound the ball very well though they're they're third in the conference in in you know defensive rebounding fourth in offensive rebounding uh fourth in rebounding margin first in block shots so this is a team that whereas a lot of our other teams that we've talked about you know with central michigan and and with buffalo very guard oriented teams i think kent state kind of separates themselves in the sense where they're, they're going to, you know, their game plan is going to be to, to get the ball down low underneath work, the paint rebound, the ball, well play good defense. And that's how they're going to try and beat you. And they're having success with it right now. They're having success with it right now. You mentioned the, the, the ball state game uh, last weekend where they won 70 to 61, they out rebounded ball state in that game, 43 to 33. And that rebounding margin kind of speaks to how that they want to play. Also, shout out to their bench for putting up 50 of those uh, 70 points. So yeah. if you can get a production like that from your bench, you're going to win a lot of games like that. But yeah, I think you say, I think what's interesting about um, both the men's and women's is like we talk about the the depth each week. It's it's not really one or two teams that just run away with it. Like the Bowling Green Ball State game and the men's side, We I, I personally thought on paper Bowling Green should have won this game by at least single digits, if not double digits. And Ball State just came out and shocked uh, Bowling Green and was able to hit shots. So with this conference, you have teams like uh, Kent State for the women's. You have teams like Toledo just having wonderful performances that you necessarily didn't uh, expect. Yeah, no doubt. And if you don't mind, Sam, one of the things, I think the story of the week for me 
on the women's side uh, is it's, it's gotta be Northern Illinois, the Huskies with two of the most impressive performances of the year here. They had two big games this week. They went to Bowling Green on Saturday and then at home against Central Michigan just this on Wednesday night, just last night, two of the best teams in the conference and the Huskies who were only one and two in the conference coming into this week, come away with two really impressive victories. They knocked off uh, Bowling Green at Bowling Green 78 to 71 on Saturday. And then they followed that up last night with a 1-0 uh, 104 to 73 win at home against Central Michigan, who had been 5 and 0 in the conference. The Huskies, with just an unbelievable performance, they shot 58% from the field, 15 for 28 from the three point line. That's good for 54%. I mean, 104 points, Sam. I, I don't think anyone would have beat the Huskies last night. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, Northern Illinois is a really good shout back to back. As you mentioned, uh, Bowling Green wins and Central Michigan wins. Northern Illinois in a, a really good spot now. But I was originally going to go with the Buffalo women, but I think it's more credit to Daisha Fair and her effort off offensively. Really, you mentioned she has nearly a third of the, their offensive production two 30-point games. She's really carried Buffalo all game. This week, she was just on fire, to, as I mentioned, two 30-point games. And this week, she just really showed out. Yeah, no doubt. And certainly um, a, a good choice there for, for your uh, performer of the week on the women's side. I think she really did uh, carry Buffalo uh, in both games this week. Like you mentioned, two 30-point games. My performance of the week on the women's side, I'm, I'm going with the team. Like I said, I'm going with, with Northern Illinois. We haven't talked about them thus far this year much because they were one of those teams that was kind of in the middle of, of the pack. But my goodness, these two, uh, these two games here over this last week told me that maybe we should take the Huskies a, a little bit more seriously. Uh, you know, we mentioned the game last night against Central Michigan. Michaela Brooks had a career high 18 points in that one. Uh, Shelby Coker had 14 as well, um, along with uh, 12 rebounds. A, a great team performance for the Huskies. I, I got to give them a shout out as my my team of the week on the women's side. What about on the men's side for you, Sam? Um, talking about just, you know, performances of the week, player of the week, team of the week, however you want to go about it. Who was who kind of your, your highlight of the week on the men's side of things? I mean, it may be copying what the Mac has, but Josh and Bala, I was watching that game against Ball State, and I'm just wondering why – he can't do that every game. He's 6'7", 220, and he just looks like a bigger than everybody. I understand he's a transfer, and he, he can play he can play D1 basketball like the best of them. But I, I think he could easily average, as long as he get, doesn't get hurt, knock on wood, he can average 20 and 20 a game because his size compared to everybody is just ginormous. And I was trying to watch Brock, Brock and Hazen box out Josh and Ball, and it just, it just didn't look fair. Yeah, you're right. And I, he, he is – you know, to me, he strikes me as one of the best, if not the big best big man in the conference on, on the men's side. I mean, this is a guy, you know, averaging, uh, what is he, nine rebounds a game. He's only, you know, 14.8 points a game, which doesn't necessarily jump off the page as anything astounding. But you watch the way that he does it, the way that he plays. He's so physical, even at only, I, I say that in quotes, only six, seven. Uh, you know, he can do it all, though. He's, you know, he's a 
a, a bulldog under the boards, gets all every rebound that seems to come in his in his general vicinity. He has such a wide radius with such long arms. You mentioned, you know, this is a guy, a transfer from uh, from Texas Tech who was on their team uh, as a reserve two years ago, whenever they lost in the national championship game to Virginia wasn't getting the playing time that he wanted ends up at Buffalo. He was good last year, averaging 10.8 points and, and uh, 9.6 rebounds a game. He's really taken his game to the next level this year. So I agree with you, Sam. I, you know, I, I think consistency with him is something that I want to see a little bit more of. Like you mentioned, why can't he do that every night? He had that 19 and 19 game against ball state last week. So I agree with you. He is a force to be reckoned with. And like I said, I think one of the best big men, uh, in the conference for my, my performance of the week or my team of the week right now uh, is, is I got to go with Toledo. I know that's a little bit of a, a I guess of a, an obvious pick having, you know, the Rockets having won eight games in a row at this point. I don't think any team in the conference wants any part of them. Spencer Littleson, Marion Jackson, Ryan Rollins, Cedric Milner, all playing at such a high level right now. You know, we, we talked just a minute ago about the the concern with the Buffalo women's team of how really only two or three people that can can get you a bucket when you need it. Toledo on the men's side does not have that problem. They have so many dudes on this team that can fill it up and get you a bucket when they need to, as evidenced by the fact that they put up 90 plus points in both of their games this week. They were 17 for 32 from three against uh, against Eastern Michigan the other night. Good for 55%. If they continue to shoot the ball that well, not many teams in this conference are going to be able to beat Toledo. Yeah, I agree. They're playing hot at the right time. They're playing absolutely amazing at the right time. I do think that they'll have eventually in these next uh, three or four games, just a game like Bowling Green had where they just can't hit the ball. I, I do think they have the scores to be able to win any game, but I think – it's inevitable that you're you're gonna come down from your high place. Every every powerful what's the saying like a like if you're like so you have too much power you're you're eventually gonna come down or something like that. Yeah, I know I know what you're trying to say, and I I, I agree with you. I, I do think um, eventually that they, they are ripe for for one of those games where you know you're not gonna shoot 55 percent from three every night. You know that that's not a sustainable thing. Um, that is the thing that concerns me about Toledo a little bit is they, they are very guard oriented. They, they do tend to rely on, on jump shots. Right. Um, and so your jump shots, you know, they're not going to fall every night. And so eventually I, I do see them, I, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated in the conference or anything like mm-hmm. that. I, th- I do think, um, they they'll, they'll get tripped up here at some point over the next couple of weeks. Um, let's, let's look forward here as we wrap up, uh, look forward to the week ahead here um some big games on 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 the men's side this week sam a couple big games involving buffalo uh bowling green looking to bounce back after that disappointing performance the other night against ball state um any any games in specific that that catch your attention this week yeah you you mentioned bowling green at buffalo they have that terrible loss against uh, ball state that we mentioned and this buffalo's team with 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 the talent that they have javon graves josh and could definitely go toe to toe with them. Uh, they're both fighting for that uh, number one spot. They're both, uh, I believe, uh, tied at. Uh, no, Buffalo's actually five and one. Bowling Green's at four and two. So they're fighting for that number one spot, and yeah. it's going to be anybody's game. I agree with you, and and I think the the matchup in that game that really intrigues me is you know we talked about Josh and Bala. Well, the guy on kind of the 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 second fiddle for Bowling Green, Daquan Plowden. 
the power forward. Going to be interesting to see how those two match up and if Plowden's going to be able to battle him underneath the boards. When it comes to Bowling Green, you know, Justin Turner's always going to get his. You know he's going to score. Plowden did not have a great game the other night against Ball State. He was only one for four from the field at six points. If, you know, if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm looking for him to have a bounce back game. Obviously, matching up against Mbala uh, is, is no easy task. But I, I think if, if Plowden can go toe to toe with him there, I think the Falcons have a good chance. Um, we also, and then, you know, following up after that, Buffalo goes to Kent State next Tuesday. Uh, I think that's a, another big game there. Mbala versus Danny Pippen, um, two, two of the better big men in this league. Um, that one there, I, I could see Kent State pulling that game out only because, you know, Danny Pippen uh, is a guy that is very similar to Josh Mbala, but the only difference is Danny Pippen can step out and hit the three. If he can get Josh Mbala to kind of step away from the basket and have to cover him at the three-point line, I could see Kent State uh, getting some, you know, getting into the paint and, and pulling out a victory there. Yeah, I agree. And and looking on the women's side, we we have a interesting game in Buffalo at Ohio. I want to see if uh, more people than Daisha Fair can score because I, I mentioned and I'll mention it again. They need more people to step up. You have a nice uh, Toledo at Kent State. Kent State, uh, the leaders in the women's right now. Toledo looking to take them down. We've we've got some good matchup in the women's as well. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the the Toledo-Kent State game. And I actually am really looking forward to um, that Buffalo versus Ohio game. Talk about a, a contrast in styles. Ohio leads the conference in uh, in scoring offense and points per game. They're having just over 80 a night. Well, Buffalo, they're third in the conference in, in de- defense. They're only giving up 66 points a game. Ohio's last in the conference in uh, in defense. So, that's kind of a kind of a contrast there with you know with uh, with CC Hooks and and Erica Johnson Ohio going to look to get up and down on you and 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 you know turn it in kind of a, uh, into a little bit of a track meet. So I'm curious to see which style prevails there. And then you mentioned as well uh, Toledo and Kent State. Kent State looking to stay on top of the conference and uh, and maintain their their uh, their perfect conference record. Toledo sitting at two and three, looking to to climb up. The, uh, the, the conference standings a little bit. So um, yeah, we're, we got some good games this week. Um, Ohio actually with a big week uh, on the women's side, we mentioned the Buffalo game. They also go to central Michigan on Saturday. So that'll be a great game to watch as well. Ohio, uh, you know, looking to, to climb back up to the top of the conference and, and get up there with uh, you know, with, uh, with Bowling Green and, and Kent state. So certainly a big week for the Bobcats. Um, so that there guys is going to just about wrap up this week's show for us. A lot of hoops talk. We're looking forward to the continuation of our, our rivalry segments. Um, we'll post that uh, the question, the Toledo Bowling Green question on Friday, whenever this episode drops. Uh, so please to- Toledo fans, Bowling Green fans, or anyone in general listening, you know, uh, let us know your favorite moments, your favorite games from the history of that rivalry. And we're looking forward to uh, recapping all of that next week. Uh, Sam, any, any final thoughts as we wrap up this week? Anything uh, for, for the good of the people? Uh, yeah, actually some kind of breaking news from uh, our uh, creative director, James. Uh, apparently there's rumors that a, uh, that the director of athletics for Kent State, will, his contract will, be not, will not be renewed. So that, that's wow. uh, some interesting uh, stuff there. That is interesting, and that does kind of catch me by surprise. Uh, I'd be curious to see or hear the reasoning behind that. I think 
it seems like Kent State Athletics are in a pretty good place right now. I mean, the baseball program, obviously, is historically pretty good. Men's basketball seems to be in a pretty good place. They're coming off of it. They had an NCAA tournament just appearance just two years ago and the football team is in as good a shape as it's been in a really long time for the golden flashes so that news uh surprises me a little bit i i do agree with you and uh i definitely want to look into the reasoning as you said but yeah kent state um looking to be in being a uh, a a tough spit tough spot moving forward interesting interesting to see uh what kind of names get floated out there of, of who they might want to hire uh in that in that post there Certainly something that we can talk about a little bit more in depth next week. Uh, as far as this week's show goes, everyone, uh, that's going to about wrap it up for us here. As always, we thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you're not already, although I'm sure if you're listening, you are already following us on Twitter at, uh, at Mac underscore bandwagon. As always, uh, I am Zach Faldor. He is Sam Philman. Thank you so much for stopping by this week, guys, and we'll talk to you again next week.